Welcome to the podcast, From Crisis to Connection. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'll be bringing the professional perspective. I'm Jody Stewart, unlicensed wife, mother, daughter, sister, friend, and neighbor, and I'll be bringing the regular everyday perspective. We are all about relationship recovery, and we'll tackle tough topics like infidelity, abuse, addiction, pornography, and betrayal trauma. We also focus on helping you build stronger connections in your most important relationships. So thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Before we dive in, we want to let you know about a free resource you can download right now called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This is a course you can watch that has information on helping the person who's broken the trust, as well as the person who's been betrayed by broken trust. And there's also resources in there for the couple to help heal their relationship. This process of rebuilding trust is not easy. There's a lot of confusion, and it's easy to get lost in the chaos of discovery and just subsequent days and weeks of trying to feel safe and know what to do. So this course is available for download immediately. You click on the link in the show notes and we'll send it to you right away. We hope it's a great help to your recovery. Mm -hmm. All right. So today we're going to talk about intimacy and different kinds of intimacy. Yeah. And I, this word is really, I don't know, funny to me, right? Okay. <laughs> just because I think a lot of people use this word when they're afraid to say sex. That's so true. Right? Yeah. I see this a lot in our kind of spiritual home, our, our religious culture. And maybe it's the same with other conservative oh, Christian yeah. hmm. cultures, but certainly in ours, I see this a lot where, you know, I'll, I'll be working with a couple and they'll, they'll say something like, yeah, well, we didn't have intimacy last night. And I said, <laughs> so you didn't talk? Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. What is that? It's such exactly a- Exactly does that mean? Yeah. It's, it's a funny word to me that way. So I took a class in college uh -huh. and it, it was my favorite class by far in school. And it, it was a little bit of philosophy mixed with psychology. But one of the foundational topics was human intimacy. And it was not about sex. It was, it was about oh, like closeness right. and, and like understanding another person. And anyway, so I loved it. It was so fantastic. And I would try to share some ideas about it with people who weren't in the class and it would creep them out that I would be talking about intimacy oh. because they felt like it was wrong. It was all wrong. We have a long way to go, don't we? Still in our uh -huh. culture uh -huh. of being comfortable with the word intimacy, not to mention sex. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's why I think I, I bring this up as an issue because I, I worry that, well, I, I don't worry about it. I see this happening that having too narrow of a definition of intimacy, mm -hmm. having it be linked just directly to sexual contact mm -hmm. really makes it difficult to build a really expansive, healthy, connected relationship with not only your spouse, but certainly other people because you can yes. be intimate with lots of people. Right. Sexual intimacy, again, as we believe it, should be reserved between spouses. You know, that's, yeah. that's something that is exclusive to that relationship. But Intimacy as a concept or as a construct, man, there's so much you can do. And that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. 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 That's part of why we're anyway. <laughs> having this podcast today. So, but we are, we're going to start with physical intimacy. Yeah. Uh, because that's where, where we often go first in our minds. Yeah. We might, we may as well, may as well start with the thing that most people think of uh -huh. when this word comes up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it primarily has to do with physical body closeness, mm -hmm. physical intimacy. Yeah. 
And physical intimacy can be both romantic, you know, it can be of a sexual nature and it can be non-sexual. Mm-hmm. So you can participate in physical intimacy that doesn't have anything to do with sex. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, the other day I was talking with, with someone in, in my practice who they've been separated and there's been a no, no touch boundary for some time. Okay. Just anyway, a lot of backstory there, but needless to say, they, they're a married couple, but they, they've not had any physical touch. Mm-hmm. And he was really struggling with that. It was really, really tough for him. And he wanted, he wanted to make sure his wife understood how tough this was for him. <laughs> and I, and I said, yeah, like I don't. And then I flipped it back and I said, you know what? I said, do you think it's tough on her to not have, because he, he was like, well, I don't even think she likes sex or doesn't care about sex. And I mm. said, well, I said, I'm not going to get into that. She's not here. But I said, I, I do believe at some level that touch is a universal need. Oh yeah. And her setting this no touch boundary is likely just as punishing for her to not yes. be able to be touched by her husband. Yes. Now I get at some level if he's, if he's an unsafe person, if he's abusive, mm-hmm. if there's, if then that, you know, she may not necessarily want touch from him per se, mm-hmm. but the idea of touch from someone that cares about you yeah. or not being touched is a huge loss. Yeah. And it is a universal need. I'm not a big fan of the people using the love languages thing. Like, well, I need physical touch, like as if their partner doesn't need it. Mm. It's, oh, yeah. it's oftentimes used as a club to sort of get someone to touch you. Mm-hmm. But I think every human needs touch, but there's not, I don't think there's anyone that doesn't benefit from physical touch. Yeah. You know, on a somewhat related note, I had a friend years ago who had lost their spouse just share that that was one of the losses is just not being touched very often anymore and how hard that was. Yeah. And so I make a point now with women that I know that have lost a spouse or even are divorced, just when I see them to give hugs, to reach out and like touch them on the arm yes. a lot, just so they they can have some some touch because... Thank you. That felt nice. <laughs> just like that. It does. Touch is great. Yeah. And what's interesting, can I just go back to this, this person I was talking to? Sure. Because I just thought of yeah. one other thing we talked about that I, I think really matters in this context, which is... You talked about physical proximity. Yeah. And sometimes that that is just about energetically being close to someone. Like sure. physically being near them feels different than physically being far away from them. Mm-hmm. And here's the example I gave okay. him. Because he's like, my wife's not touching me. And I said, yeah, I, I understand that. She doesn't feel comfortable doing that. But I said, you remember like back in middle school when you got within three feet of a girl you really the liked? Crush, yeah. yeah. And like, it was like your body just started vibrating because <laughs> you just were so excited to be like that close to her. And it was all you could think about. And it just made your day uh-huh. to know. I remember that. Yeah. I remember as a kid, like oh, yeah. totally walking past them in the hall, whatever. I was just going to say, yeah, I would map my it's course like, from one class to another. Like the energy so transfer was yes. just huge. And there is something really powerful about proximity energetically. Now, I don't understand all the physics of it or how it works, and I'm not going to get into that, but anybody who, isn't, who occupies a body <laughs> understands that. Yeah. So touch doesn't have to be even as narrow as mm, physically touching someone. Mm. We need to, you know, I'll sometimes have people that are really lonely, just tell them to go to the library or go somewhere where there's a lot of people moving and just feel the energy of people and yeah. just not feel like they're isolated by themselves without that exchange. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Physical touch is, is bigger than just skin on skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And definitely bigger, like we're talking about, definitely bigger than just sex. Absolutely. It has to be. Because mm-hmm. what happens if you can't have sex? Right. Or if, you know, you, let's say, I mean, for people, folks that are disabled or mm-hmm. aging mm-hmm. and all the equipment doesn't work as well or at all. Or yeah, there's or injuries, illness, illness or injury. Yeah. Or pregnancy. You know, there's, there's times where you just don't feel like you just can't do what you know. Like if you only have that as your only touch option, there's going to be a lot a of lot suffering. A lot of loneliness. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but there, yeah. there's been research that's been done that shows that non-romantic touching does a lot to buffer feelings of loneliness. Mm. So that even if you can hold somebody's hand or put an arm around them or those kinds of touches do do a lot to... So if there's enough safety in your relationship, then you can practice developing physical intimacy in those kinds of ways, in ways that you can do in public. Yeah. Are you talking about the MRI study, the fMRI study where they they had them hold their hands and the shock their feet? Okay, no, but that one's fantastic. Can I talk about that for a second? Yeah. Yeah, this was a study done by Jim Cohen out of North Carolina. And what he found was that they put participants, study participants in an MRI tube, which is scary. If you've had an MRI, there's the yeah. magnets clanking, it's it's noisy, it's, it's cold, claustrophobic. You're under a, a teeny tiny sheet of, a, of yeah. a cloth to And it's loud. Yeah. It's very distressing. And you're alone. Yes. Most of the time. So they they rigged this up to where they they had people getting their brain scanned, so they're able to look at what's happening for them. But the way they're doing it is very distressing mm-hmm. um, in this machine. And to add to that, they also administered a, a light shock to their foot randomly. Mm-hmm. They didn't know when it was when it was going to come. They didn't know how strong it was going to be. And they agreed. They knew it was coming. Oh, absolutely. People yeah. signed up for this. Yeah. And so it wasn't torture by any stretch. But the body was responding to the uncertainty, to the fear of the pain. Yeah. These, all these different variables were going on, and they were watching the brain respond to this. And they had different groups, of course, like any study. And one group, they had them all alone in there. Nobody was in the room with them, and they'd shock their foot. And their brains would just light up like on fire. Like It was just really distressing to them. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of suffering involved. Then they brought in a stranger who just held their hand, and they would do the same shock. Mm-hmm. And it went down significantly. I don't know the numbers, but it mm-hmm. went down significantly. And then they brought in the person's spouse. Mm. And it, or somebody they felt close to, right? Somebody in this, that was... Yeah, I think in this case, it was their spouse. Okay. There was a marriage one. Okay, okay. And they brought in the spouse and it lowered even more. But then they took that spouse group and studied like the, ah, the quality of their marriage. Ah, okay. And what was interesting is that you would suspect, and you're right, the good marriage had the most buffering effect. They even reported that they could hardly feel the shock, which is incredible. That a good, secure relationship was enough of an insulator that they didn't feel the shock on their feet, which is nuts because the person who was alone described it as excruciating or or just overwhelmingly painful. And it it really wasn't that painful of a shock, obviously, because Mm -hmm. they wouldn't do that to people, first of all. Yeah. But secondly, it was the isolation that made it worse. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting is in the marriages that were in that other group that didn't have great marriages or poor marriages, the shock still had the same effect as holding the hand of a stranger, which was better than being alone. Better than being alone. So a lot of people wonder, why am I still in this relationship? Why am I still putting up with this? Because physiologically, there's still a buffer from... Now, again, there's there's a threshold to that where if yeah. you're in an abusive or really mm-hmm. unsafe relationship, then it's better to be on your own and at least get support from other people. But even in a so-so marriage or there's seasons where it's not great, the touch and the closeness still has a buffering effect. It's fascinating. Touch is powerful. 
Yeah, it really is. It really is. And it's a great way to begin nourishing a healthy physical intimacy mm-hmm. in your relationship, especially when maybe sex is off the table for a yeah. while. I think especially, I think it's an opportunity to learn other ways of touching. Yeah. There may have been a lot of entitlement around sex. There may have been a lot of just patterns or beliefs that, and I think a lot of men fall into this. I talk with tons of men over my career who, you know, that's the one place where they felt like they could be physical. You know, they, yeah. they weren't touched ever mm-hmm. and, you know, by men or women, their dads or their moms or anyone. And so they, it's like, they just have this one area. And so I have a lot of compassion I think men are undertouched, actually. Yeah. Yeah. There are too many limited ways that are socially acceptable for them to mm-hmm. to give and receive touch. Yeah. If they win the big game, they can hug. Right. Yeah. But, right. You know, or, or if you hug your slap friend, somebody on the back, you got to slap the back and pull away mm-hmm. or, you know, but there's not a lot of, and I, I served a, a mission for my church in uh, the Dominican Republic and a lot of men there, adult men hold hands while they walk in the street. Oh. Men and women, girls. People, right. they just hold hands. Right, right. Culturally, it's not weird. Yeah. So they're, they're the, more physically Yeah, the men are much more physically affectionate. They hug a lot more. They, they hold hands. They touch. They, but American men, at least the ones I know, I, that's my people here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of isolation. So I agree. I think it's if you're healing from betrayal or if you're the one that broke the trust and you're trying to heal, there's lots of ways to integrate healthy touch, either through proximity like we talked about mm-hmm. or even through non-sexual touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that can be anything from, you know, holding a hand or Mm -hmm. even just side hug. Yeah. A side (laughs) hug or the elbow. Mm -hmm. The elbow is a really safe place to touch people or, you know, right around the elbow area. And if you've broken trust, you always want to ask for consent for any kind of touch. Yeah. You can't assume that somebody wants to be, wants to be touched. There's times I still even, you know, I can tell if you're, you know, you're in your head or preoccupied or whatever, I've, I've asked you if, hey, can I give you a hug or, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think that's, it's wise to be considerate. Yeah. But I think erring on the side of closeness, it's just great practice in general. We just respond well to, to proximity. Yeah. And I want to say it is something that can be learned mm-hmm. that initially, and we learned this with our son who's on the autism spectrum, that early on he would recoil when we tried to touch him. Yeah. He just had a really hard time with the sensory experience. Yeah. But just repeatedly over time. So initially it was mm-hmm. weird, but we felt really, we just felt like it was really important for her, him to learn to be touched so he could have that. So he wouldn't have to have a life without touch because that mm-hmm. and all the, the difficulty that comes with that. Yeah. But and, so it was, mm-hmm. it was weird at first, but slowly over time it became more and more doable. He was more and more receptive. So we, we just kind of baby stepped our way mm-hmm. into it becoming more of a healthy part of his and our life together. And I don't even think you have to be on the autism spectrum to learn how to touch. I mean, I know for me, I came from a family who was not very touchy. Well, yeah. And I've had to learn how yeah. to like increase the intensity around, I would say, non-sexual touch. Uh-huh that level of closeness was really unfamiliar to me. Mm-hmm. And kind of uncomfortable. Pretty much uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. And I remember making jokes or humor to sort of deflect it or decrease the intensity when we were first married. Uh-huh. You probably remember yeah. that too. Yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I just had a hard time with it. It was just really strange. And so I didn't have a reflex to come and just touch and cuddle. And I'm still working on it. 
yeah. after 27 years. I, it's still something that I, I have to remember to like move close mm-hmm. because I don't naturally do it. It was not how I was raised. My parents are lovely people. I have a nice family, but we all had a bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, some of you may be listening and saying like, well, I'm just not a touchy person or I don't need as much touch. That may be true. Mm-hmm. You might feel like that's something that you don't necessarily crave all the time. I just want you to notice though that the people around you still might need more than you do. Mm-hmm. Or you might recognize that you probably are getting touch or contact in ways that maybe aren't obvious. Sure. So you're- It's yeah, happening you're, probably. Yeah. Already feeling mm-hmm. nourished by that physical touch. I love this topic because it's something that, you know, when there's been a betrayal, it's oftentimes one of the first things to go. Yeah. It's one of the yeah. first boundaries that gets set. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's there's like a kind of a swing toward lots of touch to create security or reassurance. Yeah. I've seen that plenty of times and that can be confusing when you're like, why do I feel unsafe? And yet I want to, that's more of an anxious, I don't want to lose this or I'm, you know, more of a trauma response. Mm-hmm. But this is something that I think people need to learn how to navigate and figure out, not only in the aftermath of it, but long-term, how to reintroduce touch and, and valuing and prioritizing it as something that we can't just ignore and just have it go away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Anything else on that one? Um, no, I think we, we've covered everything. Okay about that one so and we've got um, we've got other ones we want to talk about yeah but i think we ought to save them for different episodes what do you think sure yeah Yeah, we didn't realize we'd have so much to say we started this one thinking we might handle all of them in the same one and then i just got to talking (laughs) we should have known better do we have a verbal intimacy one (laughs) maybe (laughs) oh kind of we're gonna get to that (laughs) intellectual intimacy yep i have all the words all the words Mm -hmm. okay well yeah, well, let's wrap this up and then we'll we'll spend all the words on the next ones too. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks everyone for yeah, hanging thanks out here for with us today. Being here. Yep. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Mm-hmm.